listeners, welcome to the AC Podcast. My name is Troy, and I am your host for today's episode. February is a month popularized by celebrating Black History Month. As such, we decided it would be appropriate to have an episode discussing the complexities of racism. From the portrayals of diversity and antiquity to modern jokes based on cultural identifiers, the need for gentleness can't be understated. In this week's episode, the podcast team of Troy, Andy, Steve, and Wes seek to look at the biblical grounding for diversity while sharing their experiences with race. Let's get into the podcast. Hello, listeners. Welcome to the AC Podcast. My name is Troy. I'm here today with the full team, Andy, Steve, and Wes. Guys, I can't remember the last time all four of us were on an episode. It's the Do quad. <laughs> the quad. It's the been quad. purposeful. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> um, yeah. yeah, I can't remember the last time we, we were all together. Probably something close to when we did our launch event. But coming up in just a couple of weeks, we will all be together in the same vicinity under the same roof because the Apologetics Canada Conference will be here March 1st and 2nd. And it's it, I'm really, really looking forward to it. I mean, we're probably going to mm-hmm. have to take some kind of epic video again where, you know, it's got rock and roll music. It's fe- it's March, though, <laughs> so I don't know if we're going to be in the Jeep, but we'll we'll play that by ear. <laughs> yeah. I know we've been running around like maybe not chickens with our heads cut off, but definitely chickens with a lot of work to do. <laughs> and It's feeling uh, exciting and frantic at the same yeah. time. It's been busy. Yeah. yeah. And in fact, we got we got some great stuff coming up. We got the premiere of Can I Trust the Bible? We have been mm-hmm. working on that. Wes, I think it's it's been like over a year of solid work on this thing. First prep to go to Egypt, go to Egypt, film, and then get back from Egypt and just edit, edit, edit. Oh, the, yeah, yeah, definitely. If you include yeah. all of the planning going into actually taking the trip, then it's definitely been over a year. Yeah. And, you know, you would think that being an insider, you know, you everybody will have already seen the the edited version or whatever but to tell you the truth listeners like i haven't seen anything other than the trailer i haven't seen anything <laughs> at all so I'm, I'm actually really looking forward to the premiere that's happening at columbia bible college on february 29th on the leap day no less we've been keeping steve in the dark to do with anything but steve that was a masterful segue into that promo like you just did great man <laughs> thank you thank it was you. so good i feel like he's a little bitter he hasn't, he hasn't yeah, yeah i was like okay but we're all gonna trust the bible but he can't trust his team because they're keeping him yeah, that's right. out of the know <laughs> like we'll deal with that stuff off screen but you know great job at the promo but let's get into today's episode today we're having a conversation somewhat around the topic of of passive racism now andy i want to i want to hand this over to you just because you you presented this to the team and like kind of frame it for us like where did this kind of conversation come from like obviously it's it's not one that's necessarily a shocking conversation but it definitely is one that i think in definitely in recent times maybe the heat's died down a little bit we can have these kind of conversations safely yeah you know there's always the risk of talking on these subjects in that one, it's like, okay, like everybody's like, oh man, are they trying to virtue signal or something like that? I hope it's clear that AC doesn't get caught up in the cultural nonsense. Uh, I hope mm-hmm. that's clear. Yeah. And we seek to address issues that people are wrestling with and that they're asking us about. So mm-hmm. lately we've been asked quite a bit about this topic of racism and maybe that's because it's Black History Month. I, I don't. I don't know. But I don't think so. I think there's just issues that are still going on in our culture, and so we yeah. want to talk about. 
I do teach a class on theological anthropology, what it means to be human. And I've given a lot of thought to this concept of, or different ideas about racism historically that I think we need to think about. And, and of course, biblically. And so on the podcast today, we want to, we want to talk about this subject from a biblical perspective and hopefully get people thinking, uh, in a, in a Christian way about how do we, how do we navigate what's going on in culture and how do we actually seek to address uh, the racism that's out there that's not necessarily, like you said, Troy, it's not necessarily always overt. Often it actually is more of this low-key kind of racism, as you called it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's racism when it comes to, when it comes to the church and just, I think, any, any ministry really, ministry conversation it has to be handled with a gentleness and a grace because quite honestly you're you are risking polarizing people on both sides Mm -hmm. and i've seen it right where you take a minority group that wants to have the conversation about racism and warranted right but it's very easy to paint a a broad brush and a and then maybe even to try and put to to rest any of our listeners who may be thinking okay well why doesn't why didn't AC say anything about Black History Month? Why didn't why didn't they, you know, why was there no conversation about that? But if you would remember, two years ago, when I actually did two, during Black History Month, I did two interviews with um, some Black leaders from, from different ministries. And I had some conversations about race and those conversations in the church. And one of the things that I just want to, to stress with people is... While there's nuance to the conversation, sometimes you're actually repeating the same conversation over and over and over and over, but you've just put different faces and maybe a different voice to it. And it's not saying that that conversation is unnecessary. It is saying, though, that as people who have a platform, it's important for us to not get caught in a wheel of, oh, it's this season, so we're going to talk about this merely because it's this this season and do it in such a way that's that's messy like for example yes it was christmas but we didn't talk merely about our favorite christmas traditions we took the angle of talking about christ and his birth so just to give context that there is wisdom involved in it it's we we are not passive in uh, those areas of faith i think it's important too as we get into this conversation to realize the complexities of low-key racism particularly in our context here in canada and, you know, I'm curious your guys' experience as well, but Canada, particularly here in British Columbia, is very diverse. Mm-hmm. For example, my son going to school, my boys, uh, they were uh, two of four white kids, if you want to speak like that, in their, in their class. Mm. So, to say, you know, like to pit one group against another group, I, I think is... Uh, would be quite faulty. I mean, the amount of racism that my my kids have experienced in the public system was was pretty significant mm-hmm. that they had to navigate. Now, again, I would call it more of the low-key kind of racism, but I still yeah. think that this subject is important for us to talk about from a broad spectrum, that this isn't just an issue that the Black community deals with or the Asian community deals with or the Caucasian you know community deals with. This is a This is just an issue that humans deal with and so want to come at this from a biblical perspective yeah yeah so, so as we get into this though i mean we've used the phrase low-key racism a lot 
But just to be extra clear, what do we mean by that? So, I mean, you this may get defined differently for, for different people, but when you think of something in, in regards to passive racism, you could almost call it uh, otherwise known as like almost internalized racism, where it's a person has a, a feeling of a prejudice or they have feelings towards other races that they wouldn't necessarily openly speak about, but they're the lens in which they look at life or a particular people group is through one of seeing, well, I see black people like this. And so I'm only going to think of black people like this. I'm only going to create spaces for black people like this. Like you can, you can think of it in a, in a lot of different ways, but the passive racism even can be something as simple as the kind of jokes you crack you think about mm-hmm. kids in a school system. I mean, I grew up making all kinds of black jokes. And and some of that you could say is was to try and make myself feel more comfortable. But you could hear statements like, oh, the lights go out. And I'd be like, oh, can you see me? And everyone would laugh. But I often would say those things before someone else did. And mm-hmm. it was this passive form of racism because then someone would follow up with like, well, you know, like we don't actually not like black people, but it's just, you know, the lights aren't on so we can't see you. That's actually not okay. It, it's actually offensive, right? Because you're pointing out a difference in color and and using it as something to uh, essentially make fun of me. That's kind of how I would how I'd explain it. I want to jump in on that a little deeper, just to give like a definition of racism. We're talking about discrimination and prejudice against people based on their race or ethnicity. Mm-hmm. And as you're pointing out, Troy, this tends to come up in different ways. I, and that was a significant conversation you and I had once, mm-hmm. where you told me about a situation with the lights going off and somebody cracking a joke saying something to the effect of, oh, you won't see Troy until he smiles sort of yeah. sort of thing or something like that. And I remember, you know, you, you were telling me, you're like, man, that was, that it was actually really hurtful. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and because it's something that you're just, you know, you, you kind of understand the reality of it. Like this is my complexion. So that's just kind of the way it goes, but using it as a tool of jest Quite honestly, and and I, and I maybe I'm one of the only ones that might say this, but even within the community, it's something that walks a very fine line, and you have to. I know this can be a buzzword for a lot of people, but there is some racial trauma that people have actually just carried forward that they use it almost as a defense mechanism. So much like I'm saying, you may hear a person crack those jokes, but really deep down, they don't want to. They just want to be, they want to say it first before someone else does, right? If, if you've seen 8 Mile, Eminem makes fun of him growing up in a trailer park before the guy he's battle rapping against can use it against him. And it actually disarmed that other artist and he couldn't say anything against him. But it's still like, oh, I actually don't like these things, but I'd rather say it about myself than have you do it. Alongside that, um, I think that was a helpful definition. Kind of piggybacking off of that, theologically, I would argue that racism as a sin, because that's what it is, it's it's a sin, is the sin of partiality. And then this is what you see talked about in, in mm-hmm. James, specifically chapter two, where it reflects judging or showing favoritism based on external appearances. And mm-hmm. so when we're talking about racism, we're talking about those physiological phenotypes that express, you know, whether that's the color of your skin or even I think certain characteristics that differentiate how we look, whether we're from one part of the world or another. And so that's why I think this is an important topic, because it is a sin issue, and it's not limited Mm -hmm. to one group or the other. If it's sin, it's a human condition. 
And if it's a human condition, then we're all susceptible to committing it against our brothers and sisters and ultimately against Mm God. Yeah. Can I, can I do a, give you a bit of a pushback though? Not necessarily a pushback, but again, I'm looking for clarity because the the sin of partiality in James, I'm, I'm glad you mentioned that it was based on external appearances, because in, in James, he talks about how uh, people who appear to be wealthy, mm. they are favored, right? It, they, they're shown favor. And that partiality can be, well, doesn't have to be wealth. It can be skin tone. It can be some other external trait. I, and I say I'm glad you brought up external appearances, but because I think there are certain partialities that are appropriate, for example. Like, uh, we we all have children, and we are partial to our children in a way that we're not to other children. Yeah. Right? And, and so I think, and, and so I think there are proper forms of partiality there. So partiality per se is not the issue, but it's the kind of partiality that it is, and in this case, based on external appearances alone. Well, and specifically the sin of partiality. So not partiality in in and of yeah. itself, but the sin. In the same way that discrimination right. can be a wrong thing, but we discriminate all the time in the sense that mm. I discriminate properly when I make decisions to do one thing or the other. It doesn't necessarily default to discrimination being a bad decision, although we would often use that word within a situation where it would be negative discrimination. But I think I think mm. prefacing the word partiality with the word sin is important because, like you point out, Steve, not all partiality is necessarily wrong. But when partiality becomes sinful, it's when we're judging someone on the base of an outward appearance where it's an unjust ruling against that person and and treating them differently because mm-hmm. of that thing. Agreed. I want to go further down that that rabbit trail, but before we do, I got to juxtapose really quickly here Troy and Steve. Cuz we were just talking about <laughs> joking and we need to be careful about how we joke with each other. Mm-hmm. And this is something that I had to work through by the way even uh cuz people love poking fun at a bald man. And I, I, I like had to learn to just embrace that. Yeah, Steve is Steve's on on board with that. I've learned I had to learn how to embrace it because there is just this weird thing that humans like to do, where we like to point out our differences for whatever reason, and instead of pointing out our, you know what what unites us, we'll often mm. want to point out what's mm-hmm. what's separating us, and and I don't know if it's insecurities or why we tend to do that, but I do find it fascinating that. Steve, on the other hand, loves Asian jokes. And since the day we began working together, he mm-hmm. hasn't stopped cracking Asian jokes. Now, yeah. <laughs> I, I, I've <laughs> sometimes I'm like, I'm not even sure if I should laugh at that, Steve. <laughs> but yeah, I, but I am curious, you know, what's up with that? Like, mm, on the yeah. one hand, yeah, yeah. jokes can be quite hurtful. But on the other hand, like, Steve, you find you find them very funny. Yeah. Um. I, I do find them very funny. I wasn't always like that, though, because when I first came to Canada and, you know, there's sort of the soft form of racism that you experience between groups, even within Asian groups, right? Oh, there, there are the Koreans over there. There are the Cantonese over there. You know, they're, those guys are from Taiwan. And, you know, some people might not even be able to tell us apart, but we are cracking jokes at each other. And I do remember feeling quite offended 
whenever, say, my friends who happen to be of Indian descent would make fun of me based on the way I looked. And at some point, I realized that a lot of people were walking on eggshells around me on the basis of racism. So when I crack those jokes, I do it actually very intentionally from just for me, like I can't speak for everybody else. But the reason I do that is because when I do that first, it puts everybody else at ease, right? So in a sense, for me, it's a gift to them. Hey, listen, you don't have to walk on eggshells around me. And, And along with that, part of it was just my recognition just for myself again, I can't speak for everybody else, that when I was feeling offended, I didn't have to let it offend me. And so then when I let go of it, uh, I was, it, it was quite liberating actually, because I didn't have to deal with every negative emotion they came with whenever somebody said something. So I was set free from my own sort of, hey, I'm going to feel offended by this. So there was that that side of me. At the same time, I understand that, again, I keep saying that this is for myself. I can't speak for everybody else because people have different histories based on this. And my experience um, and Troy's experience, for example, probably have been quite different growing up, so on and so forth. And so that's that's where I'm coming from. I think it's interesting. This is insightful Mm -hmm. for me because I'm finding that there's actually a huge similarity between you with regards to the to the jokes that you mm-hmm. would want to do it for first to. Yeah. 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 That's really fascinating to me. What, what could, what, what kind of wisdom could we impart to people that, that have a friend that they're wondering how to, how, how to be a friend to. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I think, I think we underestimate the, the, the value of relationships sometimes. Like there's a lot to learn from a person just by actually not just hearing about where they're from, but how do they, how does where they're from dictate where they are now? And for, for giving you, you know, giving you a prime example is like, I'm, I'm Jamaican for many, many years. I struggled because I wasn't Jamaican enough for the Jamaicans, but I wasn't Canadian enough for the Canadians. And Mm -hmm. so my life in particular and I'll say this to people, this is this is why we did something like branded rethink an identity. You know, I had an identity crisis for much of my life. You know, it wasn't until, you know, I started getting older and I'd go to the States where people weren't staring at me growing up in, in Saskatchewan. Man, there was not a lot of not a lot of black kids, let alone black families who weren't of African descent. Right. There was a whole area that around where I grew up where there many of the immigrant African families all lived in these apartment complexes in those areas, right? Families were sponsoring families and they're all in the same area. So for me to not grow up, for me to grow up adjacent to that, but not in that, they were like, Oh, okay. You're, you're black and Canadian, but you're Jamaican. What, how does that work? And so this identity crisis was constantly spinning for me. And then I'm receiving racism as I'm growing up. And then I'm receiving prejudice as I'm growing up. Then as I got older, I realized how much of that is just cultural, that much of that was cultural ignorance as well, right? The challenge I, I found, especially when we're talking about the, the jokes, was the reason I couldn't handle the jokes is because I actually didn't know where I stood. I, I, I didn't know. I'm like, well, I'm not, I'm not black enough, but now you're attacking my blackness. Or, oh, Troy, you sound white. Well, I'm like, I'm not white. And I get told that every day. 
So there's this like edge to me that was like, so don't like just shut your mouth because I'm trying to figure this out. Right. And it was, it was yeah. very, it, it was a very tense thing. And I can't say I always handled, handled it well. Sometimes I looked at things through the lens of, oh, they don't like me because I'm black. It's like, well, no, maybe your character sucked in that season. Maybe you're just not the person for the job. But what I, what I have realized and, and I, and this is why I can't, I can't speak for Steve, but I have, but that common denominator is it's a defense mechanism. Right. Steve recognized, OK, this is how this makes me feel. If I flip it, then they no longer have that power over me. But one thing that I like that I have when I have conversations with people, it's like you're still recognizing, though, that there is a power balance. There is a you are feeling the need to put everyone else at ease. And I ask the question, it's like, why do I have to put everyone else at ease? If I just let you in and we have a conversation in a relationship, can I be at ease as well? Can't we? talk about each other's differences without making those the, the the butt of the joke. Like, I think there's so many other funny things in the world, but it's easy. And I'm get, and I've been guilty of this, right? I've made bald jokes. I've, and some people may say, <laughs> you know, and Andy, you may laugh it off, right? Like some people may laugh it off, but when you really think about it, you don't necessarily know where the root of that person's bald joke is from. That guy's insecure. So he's going to point out that about Andy because he's actually intimidated by Andy or, you know, and same thing, you know, Wes goes to the gym. You, person who doesn't go to the gym, they say, oh, J- Wes is just a gym rat, right? It's it, it's often rooted in some form of insecurity, <laughs> or it can be. I'm sorry, Troy, I can't let the root of a bald joke go. That's <laughs> the moment you said it, I was like, huh, not follicle roots, but... Uh... <laughs> you you wow. know what? This is an interesting oh, conversation man. because I find... Uh, maybe part of this and the intricacy of it and the nuance of the conversation is a testament to the fact that we live in a broken world because in one sense, race, unlike gender, actually exists on a continuum in a way that Mm -hmm. other things don't, right? Like both you, Steve, and you, Troy, your kids are mixed. And in that sense, Mm -hmm. there's a spectrum as to how your kids are both perceived and understand themselves and even their ethnic kind of identity there. Because mm-hmm. unlike being male or female, realistically, the the four of us are more genetically similar as human beings and as males than we are different. Then say like a, a versus mm-hmm. myself and my wife, we're very genetically different. But there's this complexity to the issue of race where we actually have more in common genetically than we don't. But there are these kind of superficial external traits that do have, I mean, impacts. There are because of where our ancestors have come from and because the amount of sunlight or the amount of kind of geographical hardship, whatever, we do have differences. But Living in a place like Canada, which is very multicultural, you see the differences when there are so many mixed couples and there are mixed kids. How do those children identify? How do they understand themselves? I think there's this conversation kind of gets messy because of the the fact that race exists on a continuum. Yeah. Yeah. You know, that's a great point because I think about that sometimes when... I look at my kids, right? Because they're half Korean and half, you know, European. And so when I look at them, I think to myself, okay, how am I going to raise them in such a way that they appreciate who they are? 
And in doing that, I really had to kind of look back on my struggles. I really resonated with what you were saying, Troy, about not being black enough and not being white enough. I've had much the same reaction. I think that's common to people who immigrate at a young age or are adopted from elsewhere, where you feel torn between two worlds, right? So, mm-hmm. um, so when I first came to Canada, I mean, there was no doubt. Yeah, I'm a Korean living in Canada, right? And that went on long enough. At some point, I said, you know what? I don't really feel all that Korean. And other people who had recently come from Korea would point out things about, you know, how Western I was in, in some, mm. some ways, right? So I, at some point, I kind of had to let go of this tension between, okay, I have to be either Korean or Canadian, yeah. but why can't yeah. I just accept who I am right now, which yep. is yep. a Korean who immigrated when he was 14 and has now lived in Canada long enough that he is, well, that's exactly what I am. I mean, it, interestingly enough, none of us were really born in Canada here, right. um, and you too, Andy, you, I mean, it's Canada, right? We, we borrow everything from America, uh, including the head of Amazonics Canada, who's not actually Canadian. He's Canadian now. <laughs> he is. <laughs> I do have Canadian citizenship, which is funny, though, because my mom, when I became a Canadian citizen, my mom was like, you know, do you still have your American citizenship? I'm like, yeah, 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 mom. Don't worry. Don't worry. I'm... <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Seriously, though, for an American, like there's there's identity to being um, American. Yeah, a lot more so. Yeah, but like you, Steve, I've lived in Canada longer than I've lived in the United States, and so I very much have a Canadian identity, uh, and and not so much of an American identity. And in that regard, but I want to I want to blow up this conversation for a moment because there's a lot of assumptions (laughs) that people tend to have when we talk about racism. And I think we got to, and we got to blow them up real quick here and talk about this, especially if we're going to get at this from a biblical perspective. Yeah. I've seen in this, these conversations, you know, people will bring up the, the, the Samaritan, the story of the Samaritan as a, as a means for talking about, you know, speaking against racism in the Bible. And, and obviously you can, you can use the Bible to speak against racism, but that particular story had more to do with the difference of people group. Right. It's it was more religious affiliation. It was locational affiliation. And there was just naturally a tension there. But when, you know, you're you're really looking at scripture, we don't see very often the color of skin being used really, really at all. You know, and it and it's an interesting thing because what where did the divide happen but from history to where we are now, where race became such a honestly a bargaining chip yeah i I think this is a good this is a good point to talk about is when did these distinctions these modern understandings of racism emerge and 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 why and how are they shaping society even today Mm. i think that's an important point especially if we're going to talk about it from a biblical perspective i do just want to make clear what i'm not saying by the way i'm not saying that people in the past were colorblind they clearly were not colorblind they saw the differences, mm-hmm. but they didn't make the sort of assumptions that are being made, particularly uh, within the 18th, 19th century that you see emerging of the kind of racism that, that we have seen and continue to see. So, I think that the, my point in bringing this up is 
that we need to appreciate that we're in a unique historical moment. We got to ask, like you're getting at there, Troy, is, well, how did we get here and how is this continuing to shape the conversation when I would argue that we need to let the Bible in a biblical perspective shape our our understanding of this conversation? Yeah. Let me just say, by the way, with regards to this, in scholarly work, so this is a, this is a, this is a topic within um, uh, scholarly discussions that most scholars would agree that race is a, uh, an invention. So, you can go look that up. Go, go Google that one. Then, so, what it tends to get broken up into is different categories, such as the limitativist uh, view, which is race should be discarded, the conservationist view that the concept of race should be retained for diversity, or the revisionist revisionism, uh, that we should think about race as a social concept rather than a biological concept. And then there's race realism. Race has some ontological status. And then uh, race anti-realism. Race is not real at all. Mm. My point in bringing all that up is, where does the Christian sit in the midst of all of this? Yeah. Yeah. How should we see it? I think there is something to be said about diversity in the sense of i know diversity in some circles can be a bit of a dirty word these days because of all the political baggage that comes with it but in the bible uh, diversity is clearly celebrated like i think right now in our small group uh, that we host we're going through the book of revelation right and you hear about the 144,000 but then John turns and looks and he sees people from all tribes language Every right there there is a nation. diverse group yeah tiny nations and they're all there together worshiping the lord so on the one hand there is diversity but on the other hand there is unity right in fact the concept of unity doesn't make any sense unless you presuppose diversity cuz Opposite of unity is not diversity. I think opposite of unity is uniformity, just mm-hmm. having one form, right? So I, I think this is really important. There, it, it, biblically speaking, there is diversity among people, but they're united by united under one Lord. Yeah. So what what I hear you saying is then we can celebrate that there's differences between us. But mm-hmm. that we also are united as one one family. This is often a picture you see in the Bible, such right. that I'm not the same as my brothers and sisters. Uh, I'm not. We're not mm-hmm. identical. But mm-hmm. that's something to be celebrated, not to. Um, yeah. Be the, the key thing is there is something that transcends our differences. One of the verses that's always stuck out to me is in Ephesians. Paul in chapter two talks a lot about. The, you know, the wall of hostility that separates us, particularly that separated the Jews from the Gentiles. And mm-hmm. in fact, this goes back to the point you were making, Troy, about Samaritans. They, they were referred to as half-breeds, and that's mm-hmm. how they were, they, they were understood. Yeah. And there's a lot of animosity. We don't have time to get into the history of that with regards to um, the Samaritans. But there was animosity of all sorts with you know, various groups of people, the, these people look the same. There's always reasons for us to divide from one another. Like, we're we're not in need of reasons for division. We'll come up with all, you know, sorts of, of reasons to divide. The question is, is what's ultimately going to unite us? 
Yeah. And that, that's, a, that's a significant question that we have to deal with. In Ephesians chapter 2, I love what Paul says in verse 19 and on. He says, consequently, you're no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with God's people and also members of his household, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets with Christ Jesus himself being the chief cornerstone. In him, the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And in him, you are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. And he goes on, of course, in Galatians, he says, you know, there's neither Jew nor Gentile, slave nor free, male nor female. We're all one in Christ. I mean, that that is radical kind of thinking here that we, in fact, are one. And one of the ways that he puts that actually is quite significant. Before this, he says in, in verse 15, this again quite significant by setting aside in his flesh the law which with its commands and regulations his purpose was to create in himself one new humanity out of the two thus making peace this idea that we we are one in in christ now yeah. of course in the 18th century you get that completely you know blown up this idea that that we're one with regards to a scientific justification for what I would argue has always been there. So, the idea of racism of some kind or another and dividing against each other for all sorts of reasons, don't get me wrong, that has always been there. This Mm -hmm. is, as Wes said, this is a sin issue, but it takes on a particularly unique perspective when it becomes scientifically justified. I would argue, mm-hmm. if maybe you disagree with me here, but the scientific justification for it, I think just put fuel on the fire of colonizing Absolutely. and slavery and and division throughout the world. Well, and on top of that, you have yeah. Paul talking in Colossians chapter three, right? Where he says, similar to what you were saying before, but he kind of broadens it where he says in Christ, there's no... Greek and Jew. So he's talking um, broadly in terms of religious, but also a kind of an ethno-religious perspective, circumcised and non-circumcised once again. But then he mentions barbarians and Scythians. So there he really is targeting uh, ethnicities, whereas the barbarians mm-hmm. were from Europe. The Scythians were what would be an Asian, from Asian descent, Mongolian and then slave-free, that all are in Christ. And so he's Mm. going through the gamut of what are understood, right? And then in Galatians, the passage that you quoted, uh, Andy, he's talking about male and female as well. So this kind of unity that we find, it transcends all of these ways that we would differentiate ourselves and put ourselves in different types of boxes, that we're all one, even though the sort of unity doesn't look like uniformity, but we are unified in in Christ and all of these differences fade away. Yeah, it it reminds me of you know Jesus's conversation with the with the Samaritan woman, right? He, he there, but when you're looking at John 4, you could start at 19. It says, "I see you are a prophet, sir," the woman said. "My Samaritan ancestors worship God on this mountain, but you Jews say that the that Jerusalem is the place where we should worship God." Jesus said to her, Believe me, woman, the time will come when people will not worship the Father either on this mountain or in Jerusalem. You Samaritans do not really know whom you worship, but we Jews know whom we worship because it is from the Jews that salvation comes. But the time is coming and is already here. 
when by the power of God's spirit, people will worship the father as he really is, offering him the true worship that he wants. God is spirit. And only by the power of his spirit can people worship him as he really is. And what unites us is the spirit of God. That is the only thing that will truly unite us. And so it goes to ask the question, maybe, you know, for in, in, the, in a world where everyone wants to be the next social justice hero, which is, I think is, is, is great in and of itself, but especially as a believer, you just fighting for racial equality or racial equity, quite honestly, you may, and not saying you're not going to be impactful, you, you're going to symbolize the kingdom, but at the same time, for what? It's ultimately so people can come to the knowledge of Jesus Christ. Like it, we've, we've been called to the, to the ministry of reconciliation for the sake of reconciling people to Christ, not trying to just unite humanity. Because if you try and unite humanity, eventually we're going to go right back in that wheel. The only thing that is going to truly pull us together is Christ, because otherwise, what would we need him for? Let, let me throw out uh, a conversation piece here that uh, I've been hearing more about. This is something that, but I was like unfamiliar with, and I find this, I find this interesting how there there's different types of division that happens even within groups of people that that I find interesting because oftentimes people might say, oh, that the division is between you know one group against another group. But even when you have within a group, so for example, I had a friend, I have a friend that's originally from Africa. And when he came to North America, it was kind of like what you had said, you know, Troy, like wasn't, wasn't black enough sort of thing because he didn't have, he might be black, but he didn't have a slave tradition. Mm -hmm. He wasn't, he wasn't a part of, you know, that, that history. And so then, then he was classified in a certain kind of way. And my time in Asia, man, the amount of racism that I saw in Asia, particularly actually around skin color, mm-hmm. uh, was quite significant. Uh, from what I understand, Steve, correct me if I'm wrong, but it developed out of, and I don't know how far back this goes, but it developed out of um, hard labor that those who worked in the sun had darker skin and those who didn't had lighter skin. And so when you yep. go to Asia today, it's quite common when you go into a grocery store to see skin lightening, which, which tends to speak to actually more of class than it does about some sort of race or yeah. the, the skin color actually is pointing to your class within the society. Mm-hmm. So there's an inversion of that in our culture, right? Like say, go to somewhere in California, um, you know, if you have sort of tan skin tone, right, that, that is a symbol of you have the leisure to go to the beach and get tanned and all those kinds of things. And if you're too, you know, to put it crassly, too pasty white, then that says something about, you know, your, your value as a person or something like that. So it has, yeah, it has more to do with wealth and status and class. I think it's a good point. My, my point in bringing that up is, is it's, it's again, I, I'm kind of just wanting to blow it up a little bit again, just saying that, this is actually more complicated than people want to make it out to be. Mm-hmm. Not to mm-hmm. be crass, but they want to try to make it black and white. But it's every shade in between. Yeah. And that this sort of division's going on within groups, within groups. And that this is that this is a sin problem that permeates our world. And and that I think as Christians, we have to think about at some level 
You know, how are these different ways that we are uh, being divided? And not that we want to get hung up on the division, but asking how how do we how do we remain united? How do we seek unity mm-hmm. in the family of God and and not get caught up with literally just a plethora of different ways that culture wants to segregate us to and and divide us from one another? Yeah, yeah. I think it's that it's a really fine line between, or at least in our cultural imaginary between difference and division. Mm-hmm. And I think sometimes we tend to think that difference necessarily implies division of some sort. And I don't think it has to be that way. Yeah. You know, like, and not to, not for the sake of merely self-promotion, but this is one of the reasons why our, our church at the end of March is doing a, doing a conference called multi and that conference is is talking about you know the the power of diversity but what we're doing is it's not merely one where it's just oh let's just talk about race no let's talk about the different angles of even well in in ministry we have a, a bunch of different speakers like very intentionally we're having different speakers from our community as well that are going to speak from these different topics yeah we're gonna talk about race but then we're you know talking about gender roles in the church talking about what it's like to be a single person and pursue wholeness what it's like to be a married person and pursue a covenant relationship when we think of diversity we have to think of it as more than just race and and gender and i think that's what we were kind of saying at the beginning is when we kind of let the world and let culture dictate what diversity is you only look at it from those two points of view i I don't think it's an exhausted conversation i think the point that andy is getting at like listeners is just for us to just say, oh, it's over now. We've solved it. It's not the point. <laughs> but there is there is a heading for the believer. And I hope that's what you're getting out of this. There is a heading for the believer that points to Christ. There's going to be tension, but God is also in the midst of that that tension. He does promise. This is one of the promises of life with him is that this struggle will pass away when we're with him in glory and thank God, because when we get in glory, the diversity is going to be there, but we're actually, you know, probably won't even care (laughs) as it should have been. Let me just say something that I just kind of learned from this. And I'm curious your thoughts, um, uh, Steve is I'm learning that when somebody's joking, that that actually, that there's a lot more going on that I needed to be aware of. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) You know, and I think that as Christians, we need to be cautious of that just because you have a friend that's maybe black, Asian or whatever, and they're making a joke about their ethnicity. And then you might think, oh, this is this is great because I got this really great joke that I've, I've been dying to say or something it's like, maybe you shouldn't. Uh, and maybe you should realize that there's that there's more going on there and that we have to think through how, how do we uh, work together to be unified and, and not... Uh, making fun of each other. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, this is earlier you asked, you know, what word of advice might we have? Well, here's what I'm thinking. When somebody cracks a joke like that, for for one, I wouldn't crack a joke. For example, you know, I, I used to crack jokes about, you know, you could blindfold me with, with floss or something like that. Right. Um, <laughs> But, you know, I, I wasn't going to laugh, but then Troy laughed. 
I've and heard it, you it, say it, that one many it, times. It's okay. It's okay to laugh, um, as far as I'm concerned. But you know, uh, I would say don't crack a joke like that unless your visible minority friend cracks that joke first. And when they do, like you said, Andy, there might be a lot more going on behind that. Because mm-hmm. I mean, even today, when you asked me, so Steve, why do you like these jokes so much? Right? And there was more that I could say about it. And really, it's it's not a bad thing. In fact, I would highly encourage you to actually be forthright about it and have a respectful conversation. Hey, I noticed that you you cracked a joke about your appearance. So what goes through your mind? You know, is there a particular reason you do that? Do you enjoy it? You know, and, and actually get to learn more about what that person is doing. And as for passive racism, when we, you know, make these jokes and whatnot, I tend to think, again, I'm just speaking for myself, I, I tend to think we're making too much of it. As it, it feels to me as if we're giving racism too much power in calling it even passive racism because you're assuming racism from the get-go and you're kind of bringing racism into this. Now, this is a, a kind of a thought in development for me, so it's not like don't take it as gospel truth or anything like that. But I try to err on the side of making too little of racism because I I see around me, just through my perspective, it seems like our culture is feeding more and more into racism. So I it's a it's a reaction, right? That's what I'm doing. But again, that's just for myself. I can't speak for anybody else, but that's what goes through my mind. Mm. I I can definitely agree. I think it, it's much like I don't know, growing up when, and, you know, you hear the phrase finding the devil behind every bush, right? There's this constant concern with like, oh, don't, don't watch Harry Potter. Don't play Pokemon cards. Don't, because it's <laughs> the devil, the spiritual things, right? And it, it's much like how you were taught. It's like, okay, well, the the spiritual is real. It It is real. And you do need to be mindful of the spiritual things. And it's much like racism. Racism is real. But you will absolutely drive yourself crazy looking for racism in every single setting. You you you'll never find any peace. Like you know, we said this before: is maybe you didn't get the job because you weren't cut out for the job, or maybe that person was racist. But I, for one, have no desire to figure out every single person I've I've crossed in this life that didn't give me the job, didn't give me the opportunity, was racist. Like I I prefer my peace. <laughs> I, I really really would. I will say that I have many interactions with people like, for example, I'm, I show up to, I lived in Manitoba and shout out all the Mennonites on this, listening to the podcast. I lived in Manitoba. I was around people that were straight up from Paraguay. were from Germany. were from a uh, Dutch background. I was the first per- black person. They'd got to sit and have a conversation longer than an hour with who they could ask me about my hair texture. They could ask me about where I grew up. They could ask me about my skin color because up to that point, they're seeing me at a distance. They're seeing me from afar. And so much of those conversations was me helping them work through their cultural ignorance where we like to yell racism. I think it's just a, a smaller worldview, right? Andy, like you've traveled all over the place. You can, you can probably attest to, learning so much about these different cultures that, wow, okay, the way I saw this on TV was completely wrong, right? I mean, Wes, finding out Wes grew up in the Middle East, he has a very unique understanding of Middle Eastern culture 
that the average white Canadian is not going to have. But now he can speak to those areas when it comes to faith and religion that other people aren't going to get. Well, thank you listeners so much for listening to the AC podcast. We are a ministry and so make sure you like and subscribe on YouTube and all of the, your favorite streaming platforms. Make sure you follow our events page at apologeticscanada.com slash events. We got a lot coming up and we want you to be there. We want to interact with you and we love to, to hang out with you coming up at the, the Can I Trust the Bible premiere as well as the AC conference at the beginning of March. But you know the drill, you know the motto. Until next time, love God, love people. Bye for now. It's the AC Podcast. Podcast.